And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. And we had a classic game last night, Stu. Um, a riveting, I don't know how long it went. I don't care that there was a, that it went seemingly like four plus hours and there was a, obviously a bunch of reviews. But Notre Dame, Clemson, it lived up to whatever hype there was. I know Clemson wasn't entirely at full strength, but um, man, what a fun game that was. It really was. I, I could have done without the, the interminable replay reviews, but nonetheless, um, Saturday Night Live could wait. You know, it's, it's interesting because this is one of the few big games, maybe one of the only ones, that kept its original date. You know, if you – I can remember looking at the schedule for 2020 as soon as 2019 ended, and there it was, November 7th, uh, Clemson at Notre Dame. That was supposed to be a non-conference game. So we, we did it. It happened. And now I'll be honest, I think I've been too jaded by one too many – Notre Dame close calls over the years, never quite pulling it off in these big games. I did not think Clemson was going to lose the game. I didn't even, like, it just assumed Clemson would eventually pull it out until probably the second of the back-to-back sacks in overtime. That That's how much I was conditioned to thinking, well, eventually they'll find a way to lose the game. But clearly I was wrong. Clearly this is a a new day for the Irish. I, I give them nothing but credit for the way they, there's nothing fluky about the way they won that game. No. Um, look, I thought, first of all, I thought Kyron Williams was, it's crazy to say this, and I, I maybe catch, <laughs> I want to bite my tongue, but was like, when you're playing Clemson and you're the best running back on the field, that's a hell of a statement. And, you know, he obviously hit the big 65-yard run out of the gate, but the thing that wowed me was, um, Brent Venables go, gives pressure from all angles. They have a really talented young defensive line. And Kyron Williams is stepping up and stoning blitzers and giving Ian Book a little more time. And I thought that was such a huge asset for Notre Dame's offense. Um, our colleague, Matt Fortuna, had a really nice piece on Ian Book, who I don't want to call him much maligned because I don't know if that's maybe overstating it, but... When you are the Notre Dame quarterback, uh, chances are you probably get somewhat you get some overhype, and you also get nitpicked more so than most most uh, most quarterbacking spots. And he's played a lot, so I think there's a large body of work to to sift through. But he was really good last night. He was good making plays with his legs. He didn't make big mistakes. Um, you know, I just thought it was a it was a you know it was a really fun night. Look, DJ. Uyunga Lele looked, Lele looked fantastic. I mean, there were some throws he made. You're like, I don't know if anybody in college football can make a throw like that. Um, 
their receivers were good. Obviously, they have some, you know, there was no Trevor Lawrence. I don't think it was the offense's issue. It was really defensively. You know, Notre Dame took it to them. Um, so do you feel comfortable in thinking this as the takeaway? Because I don't think this hurts Clemson given all that they were missing. Um to think that okay everybody kind of feels like it's ohio state and alabama are are two seemingly locks to be in the playoff do you feel like the acc deserves to have the other two teams in them and that would be the four it's hard to say right now whether they would deserve it but it is setting up that way uh because first of all is it, one thought about dj it, it, at one point in the game they or, or i think somebody tweeted that late in the game that he had set the record for most yards that a quarterback has ever passed for against Notre Dame, which is pretty remarkable to think of that. And I just remember thinking, and now he's going to go back to the bench for the rest of the season. Pretty much almost any other team in the country would kill to have that guy as their starting quarterback. I will say that he he was great up until that last series. I think uh, he held onto the ball too long on the first sack, and I'm not sure what happened on the second one where he he looked like he was going to pitch it and then held it. But... um, but other than that, I don't think you can say he's the reason that they lost the game by any means. Um, yeah, that, if you're the ACC and you're writing the script for how to get two teams in the playoff, this is pretty much exactly that. Notre Dame wins the first game. Now, there is a history of Notre Dame beating the number one team in the country and then losing to Boston College the next week. So they're going to go play them this week. They're actually, BC's pretty good this year. Let's not uh, assume that's a W, but if they do keep winning... Yeah, I mean, it sets up perfectly. If Clemson wins the rematch, full-strength Clemson, um, you look at I did this last night. The list of contenders is really narrowing. If you assume Ohio State, Alabama, um, and and whoever wins the Clemson-Notre Dame game, then that fourth spot is probably going to go to Notre Dame. I mean, it could Texas A&M will try to make an argument if they make it through with one loss, and certainly you know, the Cincinnati's, the BYU's, but Notre Dame will still be sitting there having been the first team in three years to have beaten Clemson in a regular season game. So, yeah, I mean, it sets up very well for them. We obviously, this being college football, I mean, I wouldn't expect all those teams to hold the form. Even in a normal season, there will be upsets. And this season, I just said all that, and somebody could have an outbreak tomorrow and miss two, you know, and have games canceled or, or key players miss games. One thing that um, I want to circle back on a little bit, uh, our buddy John Walters was on the podcast last Wednesday, and I think I'd asked him the question of not only do you think they they can get in the playoff, but do you think they could actually win? And he stopped short of that. And you know, I like again, maybe this is this is Lucy kicking the football a little bit here, you know, for Charlie Brown, but. I feel like Notre Dame is, is plenty athletic on defense. You know, I know I, we talked about Dalen Hayes a little bit last week. He was actually really good. He's just, he made key plays. Obviously, they have speed up the middle of the defense with Ousu Karamoa and definitely Kyle Hamilton. Those guys make a lot of plays. Um, I think Clark Lee does a terrific job there on, scheme-wise and how sound they are. I don't... You know, I, like, I think this is, it's easy to say this in the middle of the year, and then they're coming off a huge win. This feels to me 
like the most complete Notre Dame team that we've seen in a long, long time. And I mean, like, I don't know, 30 plus years, 30 years. Is that right? Well, I mean, the easy thing would be to compare them to the 2012 and, and, and 2018 teams, you know, and the 2012 team had a great defense, had Manti Teo, but Everett Golson was the quarterback. And I think we can agree. I mean, after, I mean, the most remarkable thing of the whole game last night is that Clemson did take the lead with only a few minutes left, at which point you're like, okay, Notre Dame, nice, nice performance tonight, but that's that Clemson is taking control. And for Ian book to lead them on a 91 yard drive, uh, makes you really appreciate him. Like you said earlier, and then 2018, 2018 team, um, that was a team that they went undefeated, so you couldn't leave them out of the playoff, but you just kind of felt all along like this isn't quite, I'm having trouble seeing this as an actual top four team. So I agree with you. Um, even even the thing that I thought was their deficiency about you know the receivers and the downfield passing game, when they needed to make those plays, they made those plays. So um, I'm sure there's people listening that said, well, that'll say, well, they're lucky they got Clemson you know, with a bunch of guys injured. When they play again, Clemson win by 17. Maybe, but they looked very comparable um, last night. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, um, let's pivot a little off that. So I want to go to the flip side of this, and I feel like it's, it's, a, it's a batch of things. There was a huge game in the SEC, in the SEC East, Florida lit up the Georgia defense. Now, also, like we just said about Clemson, Georgia was was depleted on defense. No Richard LeCount, um, you know, who's a free safety and a leader back there. They were down one of their best D linemen, Jordan Davis. Um, But I looked at this and came away thinking, man, Florida just torched the Georgia defense. Alabama torched the Georgia defense. Georgia's quarterback play... Now, Stetson Bennett got hurt in this game, but is really underwhelming. You kind of look at Georgia and go, you know, I do my my um, my weekly top ten on Saturday night. I don't have Georgia in there now. Why would you? Because I'm not sure what I be what you're hanging your hat on after they got blown out by Alabama and they got blown out by Florida. And so, you know, before we talk too much about Florida, I want to go through a couple of schools that I think are really really disappointing and I wondered how much you think this is related to just it being just a nutty off season on top of it but Georgia now falls into the definite disappointment category Michigan again looked awful I mean just got their butts kicked by a really solid 
and a good Indiana team. Uh, Penn State, I think, looked worse than anybody, to be honest. They got embarrassed by Maryland. Um, We talked about LSU last week. I want to throw in another team from the SEC in there. Tennessee, who I thought they were were going in the right direction. Now I think they're going in the wrong direction. Because if you look... I mean, they get they get whipped by Arkansas in a game they're leading. In the last, I had this stat that I tweeted out last night. In the last four games, Tennessee has been outscored eighty-eight to seven in the second half of games. And yes, one of those was Georgia, and one of those is Alabama. But it's also you should not be getting embarrassed by Kentucky, and you definitely can't look at your program and say, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's been there a while. Uh, the Arkansas coach has not. Sam Pittman just got there. I mean, which of these schools would you say falls into the biggest disappointment and which do you think um, you have the most confidence to pull itself out at some point in the year and and be going in the right direction? Well, the answer might be the same to both. Uh, Penn State has been by far the biggest disappointment to me. I mean, this is a team that, and and you mentioned, you know, off season, who would have thought Mike, you know, the Micah part they wouldn't have Micah Parsons. Um, I certainly think losing Journey Brown was was, and you know they lost him and then they lost Noah Kane on the, I believe the first series of the first game. So uh, you went from having a team that was that everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people thought was built to contend for a playoff spot this year and took away some of the most important pieces. But they still shouldn't be getting embarrassed by Maryland. Um, in fact, I'm a little puzzled because that defense was dominant for most of that first game against Indiana. They ended up losing the game, but the defense played great, and they just got uh, shredded against Maryland. So, And then Sean Clifford, I mean, you were, you were counting on him to take the next step forward this season. He's really regressed. So... They're the biggest disappointment, but they may also be the team that's best equipped to get snap out of it and turn around because the other teams you mentioned, I mean, Michigan has been trending in the wrong direction for a couple of years. Tennessee got to claim this, what I think it got to an eight-game winning streak at one point without having actually beaten a top 25 team during there. It was kind of a mirage. Um, who else did you mention? Uh, I mentioned Michigan and I mentioned Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Um, I mean, Georgia is is talented enough that they may win. Out, may may well win out from here, um, but it'll still be considered a disappointment because at this point, where Kirby Smart is with the number one recruiting classes and everything, um, they are expected to contend for national championships. And this year's team is not going to make unless Florida totally collapses. Is not going to make the SEC championship. So. Um, I think, I mean, if you're saying who's going to end up with the best record, it's probably Georgia. No, I'm um, saying who do you feel yeah. will has the best chance to kind of right the ship is the way I would put it. I mean, I think, I think, it's, I think Georgia will right the ship because I, I think that they are still too much more. I mean, at some point he's going to have to figure out this quarterback situation, that's for sure. Uh, clearly, I don't think Stetson Benny, he was a great story, but he didn't turn out to be the long-term answer, I don't think. But I don't see them imploding. Penn State, you would think they'll get their act together at some point, but um, maybe not. Maybe that team is just – maybe people just got ahead of themselves a little bit in terms of thinking where they were as a program. If you're a Georgia fan, how 
disgusted are you when you watch Ohio State where you have quarterback issues and you see I mean Justin Fields was was fantastic last year he looks even better now I mean he's had three games the lowest completion percentage he's had in the three games is 85 percent I mean I think that it's you know it's certainly got to be very frustrating that you had him and he got away but I think Georgia fans who lived through it know that there was it was never there was never any realistic scenario that they were going to bench Jake Fromm coming off having led them to the national title game uh, and they were having and they had a very good season the next year too so I mean hindsight's 2020 mm-hmm. and maybe they should have found more ways to get him in the on the field as a freshman he they would use him situationally and it would mostly just be to run it right so you never really got to see him as a passer even then look Kirby Smart tried to fix this you know that's the other thing he sh- he had some bad luck this year he brought in two grad transfer quarterbacks that anybody would have wanted to sign. One of them, Jamie Newman, opts out. The other one, JT Daniels, has yet to see the field. He, um, you know, by all indications, it just he it took him a long time to recover from that injury. He wasn't ready to go. So I think that that's what's directly hurting this team this year. Sure, you would love to have Justin Fields. They probably would have maybe would have won a national title with him by now. But um, but that. That's ancient history to me. I got one other question for you on this note. If you're a Tennessee fan, who would you rather have as your head coach right now? Jeremy Pruitt or Hugh Freeze? Hugh Freeze. (laughs) I mean, is there any question? Hugh Freeze. So when he got hired, we all cringed um, given, given what happened at Ole Miss. But you knew he would win. Uh, he's did a you great think coach. he would win? Did you think he'd be beaten two ACC teams? No, absolutely not. Like this, I mean, who, Liberty is not that far removed from being in the FCS. Uh, I mean, they have just they have no football history, and here they are beat. Now, that, did you watch the end of that Virginia Tech game? That may be the worst mismanagement I've yeah, ever not seen. Not a great, not a great by the team uh, that lost. For Justin Fuente, yeah. Oh, just what are you guys doing? But. Look, give them credit. They've beaten Syracuse. They've beaten uh, Virginia Tech. They have a chance to beat NC State. Are these they also teams, have a chance to beat Coastal Carolina, who's a top? That's the one. I'm. If they, if they, if those teams go into that undefeated, that would be remarkable. Um, that would be great. But I think there's going to be a run on Hugh Freeze very, very soon. Now, is Tennessee really going to pull the plug on Jeremy Pruitt after three seasons? I mean, this is he's Phil Palmer's guy. It's probably too soon. To probably too soon, but it's the SEC and. Emotions often dictate these decisions. Um, I got another one that yeah. is in that conference and in that division. Um, you know, Will Muschamp is really struggling at South Carolina. It's been a while he's, since he's been there. And I always thought Billy Napier would end up being the guy, and he still might be. He obviously has ties to that state. Um, but if you're South Carolina, you're. I think you're probably going to have an interesting choice between – Napier and Freeze, and I don't know who else they would consider, but I think that's, I don't know. It, it's that that place right now is really, really struggling. I mean, just when you look at, at the Gamecocks, and I know we don't talk about them a ton or much on this, on, on our podcast, but man, you look at this and you're going, like yesterday, they got beat by 45 against AM. Uh, they got blown out at LSU, who's not very good this year, and it was by a true freshman quarterback. Um, 
you know, I, I just look at the way they're going. They're sitting at two and four. I don't know how you sign on for more of that. And so he's the most certain, he may be the most certain coach in the country, power five, at least to get fired. And he only made it to this year because the buyout, I mean, that was a classic. How on earth did this, did he convince or his agent convince the school to give him this enormous buyout? Um, But I I think they're going to have to pull the plug after this season. I just looked at Tennessee's schedule. Now, remember, in a normal year, Tennessee's schedule is always built for, you know, for what they call the orange crush in November, where Mm -hmm. it's very light. But this is obviously, this schedule was drawn up, what was it, August? Three of their last four, so they're two and four right now, and they closed down the stretch with Texas A&M at Auburn at Vandy versus Florida. I mean, they're going to be three and seven. And this being the SEC and this being a Tennessee, are they going to keep Jeremy Pruitt if he goes three and seven in his third season? I think the hard part of that now, because you're staring at two and four, Stu, is it's not just the three and seven part. I mean, you can't lose by four touchdowns at home to Kentucky. I mean, right. to me, that's bad. You you know, it's Jeremy Pruitt can say that they're better off when they were, you know, a couple of years ago, and maybe they are roster wise, but like. You know, go to Arkansas and you get a shutout 24 to nothing in the second half. I mean, Arkansas was god-awful last year. Now, look, maybe they have, to me, three games that are that are noteworthy. Vanderbilt is horrific right now. Right. So you can't really read much into that if they win that. But they, I, I feel like if I'm a Tennessee fan, if, if you don't upset one of these other three teams— a&M at home, at Auburn. I don't think they're beating Florida in the finale at, at Neyland. Um, I don't know. Maybe they are in a circle the wagons mode at that point. I don't know. His deal's not easy to get out from under. And like I said, you know, it's only his third season. But he did make a, you know, he changed coordinators last year. He fired the defensive line coach early in the year. As you said, this was Phil Fulmer put on the cape to make this happen. Yeah, and, uh, you know, rationally speaking, you should probably give him another year. Lunatic, uh, and I mean, this is, you remember the last coaching search, right? This, it's not like uh, this is a place that that, um, handles these things calm and rationally. Texas A&M this week, Texas A&M is playing very well. I I have to um, eat some crow, I think, after the Alabama game, I, I came on here and said, yeah, I'm just not seeing any progress under Jimbo. I don't see any great players. They're playing. They've been playing very well since then. Uh, that could get really ugly. And you know, Jeremy Pruitt, he's recruited well. Um, I know they were very excited over the summer at the class he's putting together for next year. But he's got the same quarterback problem he's had for three years. He clearly doesn't want Jared Garitano to be his quarterback, but he still feels he's the best option. But then when he struggles too badly, they bench him. He's you know maybe they're going to go with the true freshman now, but. I don't know. That's an interesting one to to uh, keep an eye on down the stretch. But I I think if you're a betting man, you know, I think it's better than fifty percent chance at this point that Hugh Freeze will be an, a, an SEC head coach next season somewhere. Well, I knew I knew as a kid he really liked Tennessee. Um, you know, again, and you have a program that's been, as you said, really dreadful on offense. And he and I did this story on the Athletic about a week ago. He's a really good offensive coach, and he's a really good play caller. And, you know, when it's not going right on one side of the ball, you tend to address it first. And, yeah, 
So anyway, I don't want to. We'll stop short of going there. Like I said, I think three years is not a substantial, not a not enough time, especially the third year. Like to to give to give Jeremy Pruitt the benefit of doubt on this. Year three is happening in a pandemic. I think that's a really tough ask to. It's not even just a normal three years, which isn't sufficient amount of time. I think it's it's three years with an asterisk. So um, I think the question you would have is if you're Tennessee's leadership is if you really think, wait, if we may need to, if we want to get Hugh Freeze as the coach, then we may have to scramble. If not, um, if you take your chances and say, all right, if it doesn't work next year, we know he's going to be on the hot seat in year four, then you kind of reevaluate it from there and say, all right, we're going to trust that we're Tennessee. Even though we had disastrous coaching searches for the last decade, remember, this is the same place that hired Derek Dooley, um, that uh, you know you'll you'll find a better solution a year from now. And now that's frankly one of the reasons why, because you're right. I don't think it's fair to to evaluate these coaches at all based on uh, this bizarre season. But there, people are going to do it anyway. Hugh Freeze. If you can get Hugh Freeze, it's a chance to. It's not a gamble, really, to me. And it's a gamble on whether you're going to get crippling NCAA sanctions. But in terms of winning the game, like he's much more proven than any of the coaching hires they've made over the last decade. Um, you know, Bush Jones had won at Cincinnati. That's different than winning in the SEC. Uh, Derek Dooley was a, a on Louisiana Tech. He Jeremy was a losing Pruitt coach at Louisiana Tech, by the way. Yeah, Jeremy Pruitt hadn't been a head coach yet. Hugh Freeze would be the most accomplished coach they've hired since Fulmer. So, you would also energize a fan base that I think is, you know, got, like, I give Tennessee fans credit on this. I mean, they rallied for, when, when Lane left the way he did, they rallied for Derek Dooley. And then, you know, they bought into Butch. And then they, you know, did that dance around everything that went on with Shiano. But then they got, they got, you know, they stuck by Pruitt for a while. It's, um, they totally bought into Pruitt after the Gator Bowl they had. Uh He's, he's just lost all that goodwill um, with the way this season's going. Um, Pac-12 is back. <laughs> Limped to the start a little bit, but they are back. Uh, two games canceled. Um, even, you know, your guy's show not being able to broadcast from, from the Coliseum as expected, I think, was a little bit uh, – had to be disappointing for them, but uh, – I mean, the USC-ASU game, the 9 a.m. game, it was a great game. Came right down to the wire. USC comes back and wins. Um, but here's here, – I want to ask you this. I'm guessing you didn't watch much of the Oregon-Stanford game, right? I know I didn't. I didn't get and a chance to watch a ton because it was in, the, it was in a tough one. It was opposite Notre Dame Clemson, yeah. right? I'm assuming you didn't watch much of UCLA-Colorado. No, I watched I watched DTR and the offense turn the ball over a bunch of times. I mean, he could have had five. They could have had five turnovers in the first half. They had four. So, but I watched. Congratulations to Carl Durrell. I, I mean, he. You talk about being handed a just a, an impossible situation. He gets hired in February. The they the pandemic shuts them down before he can get spring practice. I did their state of the program article for the Athletic. I interviewed him. This would have been in late June or early July. He barely knew his players. The quarterback, Sam Neuer, is a guy who had been there four years and had yet to see the field, and so they moved him to safety. Then he went in the transfer portal. They talked him back because they needed depth at quarterback. Now he's the starting quarterback. And they beat UCLA and put up a whole lot of points. So, um, But here's the thing. 
I'm having. It just felt like I think the reason I wasn't more interested in Stanford, Oregon than I thought I would be, is it, it just doesn't feel like they're playing a real season. It's hard to get that why is excited. It, why about. do you think that? Why is it different for them than it is about the Big Ten? I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, I think the Big Ten, certainly the Big Ten, came back earlier, and and at the end of the day, they're not going to end up playing that many difference of a number of games than well Wisconsin will. But you know, if Ohio State plays nine games and wins the championship, that's really not that different than than those other teams. These teams are playing seven games, and you're already seeing cancellations, right? So you could have teams. I mean, you you could have Utah might end up playing five games. Yeah, Utah they, might they might not get these. to play UCLA this week. They've they've had an outbreak. Cal's situation is very weird. Uh, they only had one positive test, but the the city of Berkeley contact tracers wiped out a whole position group. Uh, it just feels like it's like they're kind of, and they just started so late. I mean, we're watching a, a game Saturday night between two Your teams, Clemson and Notre Dame. Being that negative, are, negative, salty still. Well, look, I, I was, I'm just saying this is. Can I I'm give not, you a reason to watch? I'm not, I'm going to watch football. I'm going to watch Pac-12 football. But if it's Stanford, Oregon playing their first game of the season, I think some against of this Clemson do, and Notre Dame with major playoff. No, I get it. Like that's look, not even a contest. I think some of this for you is Stanford is way down right now, and the you know they had their best offensive player opt out, their best defensive player opt out, and then the. One weapon they had on, on offense, the quarterback left, Davis Mills. He could he was out for the game because he's of, out for COVID protocol. Yeah, so I get it. But here's what I think: Oregon is is the best team in the North. They have Joe Moorhead comes in now. He's sprinkling the RPO with what Master Jim Mastro does with the pistol, and I think Tyler Shuck they was much more of a running threat last night, and so. You know, then much more of a running threat. Certainly, we know Justin Herbert can run, but they didn't run him much. And I think you will see a little more of that. I would, I think the Ducks are going to be a, a real big reason for people on the West Coast and even not on the West Coast to pay attention to the Pac-12. I was, I would keep an eye on them because they have a lot of athletes on defense, and I think with what they're going to do offensively. They're going to run the ball, and their receiving core is better than it's been in the past few years. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't want to say I'm buying all the way in on Oregon as like a possible top five team, but I think they have, they have a real chance to be a legit top ten team. The team that I watched yesterday, and man, it's got to be frustrating if you're a fan of this school, is USC keep hearing about all the talent you look at the receivers and here comes drake london now as if they didn't have enough you know big time receivers the running backs you know marquis step and stephen carr at times look really good the offensive line did not look good and the defense there was a couple of plays where even some of the players we think are really good kind of got embarrassed and look credit to asu i think Jaden daniels is talented and they have they have obviously recruited well and herm's done a good job there but this is supposed to be the toughest game I think USC has in the regular season. And I'm watching that game, and I'm also on a text thread with, like, two USC former stars, and I'm listening to, like, their frustration and everything else, you know, seeing it. And I don't know. You know, I get it. They had a big staff shakeup, and 
They just were so underwhelming. They were very fortunate to get out, get out of there with a win. And yes, they're still undefeated at one and zero. But I feel like, man, it's tough to it's tough to see them not having a like one of those games where they they just embarrass themselves or end up losing to somebody. You're like, there's no they have no business losing to this team. And I could see it happening this year. Well, the good news is they won the game. You know, I. I they... I'm not sure that would have happened in the past. And I also don't know. I know instinctively you, you, okay, now they're playing again and it's like, oh, I'm seeing a lot of the same mistakes and nothing's changed. But how can you know if it's that versus first game of the season? They haven't played a game in in, in 10 months. 9 a.m. kickoff. Uh, they're playing a 9 a.m. kickoff. Like everything about this, it's like I said, everything about the season is bizarre. I think I'm, I, I think I didn't state very well what I was trying to articulate earlier about the the lack where I wasn't feeling as much interest. Because, for instance, I was really looking forward to USC ASU. I was excited for the 9 a.m. kickoff, excited to have the Pac-12 back. That's a great matchup. But once the game started, I felt myself tuning more to, found myself tuning more to Michigan, Indiana. I just think it's that those teams are further along, and so you're more invested in them, right? It's like I've got on one channel, I've got two teams that are, into their season and Indiana's going for a top 10 ranking and what's going to happen to Harbaugh. Like there's, there's a lot of storylines going on there. And then over here, I've got a, a team's playing their first game of the season. So um, I, I think that's more what I was hitting at. I'm sure as the season progresses, uh, you'll, there'll be more and more attention. So in your, in your saying for lack of, for, for maybe lack of a better analogy, it's almost like the TV show or the sitcom that you've invested your energy in for a couple of weeks, and now you're drawn into the storyline as opposed to this other one. You're not ready to start this new show. That's exactly the right scenario. Let's say I've been, or analogy, thank you. Like if I've been binging a show on Netflix and I'm really into it, and and it says, okay, you want to watch the fourth episode now? Or do you want to stop in your tracks and go try this new show? You know, you're going to go with the one you're invested in. So thank you. Good analogy. We're all binging Tom Allen right now. I think it's uh, I think it's remarkable. Um, Indiana football, you know, we talked about Notre Dame finally winning a big game. I mean, Indiana football, I've seen lose so many of those games against the brand name programs over the years in heartbreaking fashion. So first it was getting the monkey off the back and beating Penn State. But for Michigan to, I mean, for Indiana to go out and dominate Michigan is just something you just, you just don't see. Um, they hadn't beaten them since the 80s. It's a, it's a great story. You asked me last week if I thought they were the second best team in the Big Ten, and I kind of hemmed and hawed. I'm I'm ready to go there. I do think they're the second best team in the Big Ten. The one hesitation I have is: is it possible Northwestern is that team? I just I'm I can't tell. I mean, this you know I watch them more closely sometimes than some other teams, and their defense is really good. I, I did not see that coming after some of the guys they lost, but I also Acknowledge that these are not, you know, world power, uh, high-powered offenses they're facing. Nebraska, Nebraska seems no further along in year three under Scott Frost than when he first took over in terms of what they're doing on offense. So um, that's got to be very frustrating for that fan base. Do you think? I mean, saying it that way. Now, to me, the big difference between Nebraska in year three under Scott Frost versus Tennessee, as we talked about before, in year three under Jeremy Pruitt is Scott Frost is a proven head coach. He did a fantastic job at UCF. But yeah, I'm, you know, I'm like looking at them going, man, why is, I don't understand. Why is, 
you know, I knew it was rough when they took over, and I I was came out of there a believer early on, and I just like last year was was a dud. Um, I mean, this is not how it was supposed to play out. You know, he's he comes in fresh off the UCF undefeated season. He, you know, he's going to run that Oregon style offense. You were a big believer in Adrian Martinez. I was, and he yeah, he has absolutely. gone far in the wrong direction to the point where I think you know Mitch Sherman, our Nebraska writer, is basically saying, "Give Luke McCaffrey a shot at this point because it can't be worse than this." Yeah, one of our um, one of my colleagues on the Big Noon Show. I don't want to say who, but it's just like I was like watch them. It was like their skill talent is so un- unimpressive, and just thinks it's like. They don't. They should have more to work with than they do. Um, and again, maybe there's a little. I think it's a combination of a lot of stuff. But geez, I I did not. I thought I. Yeah, this was a game that I thought they would have had more of a showing in. Let's put it that way. Well, Northwestern hasn't allowed a point, second half point all season. Uh, they beat Maryland forty three to three. Look at what Maryland's done since then. So it may just be that they're pretty good, but. Yes, Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska should have skill talent. He's had three years to recruit skill talent, and you just you just don't see it. So, um, so we've hit that. We hit. Oh, we we were looking so forward to the BYU Boise State game. We haven't even mentioned it yet. Friday night, maybe because it turned out to be such a dud. Uh, Boise State loses already playing without their starting quarterback. Then loses Jack Sears. I think what first or second series of the game. And you could just tell they, they, they didn't have a shot after that, but that doesn't explain Zach Wilson and that off BYU offense just killing them, handing B, uh, Boise their worst home loss since 2001. Um, I think BYU is really good. I do. Uh, and it's a great story. Uh, just, But I don't, I mean, you know, every time they play now, and they are on TV every week, and everybody's like, they got to go, the, we got they got to get in the playoff. Committee's got to take them seriously. It's going to be, it's going to be a sham if the, if they don't make the playoff. But as somebody who has followed the way the committee works over the last six years, I mean, you just look at that BYU schedule. I mean, they need to they need to add another game. They need to fi- find a way to get another game on the schedule against somebody good. Because no, you're not going to get taken seriously for the playoff when most of your schedule is Troy, Louisiana Tech, UTSA, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky. They've only got two games left, and one of them's against the North Alabama Lions. Here's an interesting dynamic because I think BYU is really good. I think they should be a top. They should be in the top five. They're so good on offense. They're physical on defense. But I also think Cincinnati's really good, and I think yes, fantastic on defense. So credit to Chuck Sullivan, who does PR in the AAC, and this is the the release he put out, and it's. You know, look, this I don't, I don't know if this spin is one thing, but this is this is fact. Um, there have been a few comparisons between Cincinnati and unbeaten BYU this season, he writes. Common opponent, Houston. Cincinnati held Houston to 10 points and 282 yards in a wire-to-wire 38-10 win. That happened yesterday. BYU trailed Houston 26-14 in the third quarter and led 29-26 with four minutes left before scoring two late touchdowns. Houston scored, by the way, 26 points and put up 438 yards. Houston has three wins in its six games against teams with winning records. It's a 6-1 and one Army, a 7-1 SMU, and a 4-2 and two Memphis, and has defeated two top 25 teams. BYU has two wins 
in its eight games against teams with winning records. And only one win against a top 25 team, and that was at Boise State. Uh, do you buy the argument he's making that Cincinnati is the better team, the more deserving team, or would that be a, a bowl match if you'd want to see more than uh, the traditional, typical uh, New Year's Six kind of game? Right. I mean, better team is totally subjective. More deserving team, I mean, I don't think there's any question. BYU, that Boise State game will basically be the only game they'll play all year. I mean, they, they were hoping San Diego State would be, would be another showcase one. They lost to San Jose State the other night. The 3-0 and Spartans of San Jose State, I might add. But, I mean, Cincinnati uh, played Army. BYU tried to play Army. It got uh, postponed. They played... They've played SMU, who's a top 25 team. They played Memphis, who was in a New Year's Six Bowl last year. They will play at UCF down the stretch, and then they'll play a conference title game. I mean, there's not even a comparison. That's a much, there are much more um, quality opponents on that schedule than will be on BYU's schedule. I was hoping, I, I had hatched this idea last week. I'm still trying to find BYU another opponent. They and UCF have a common open date late in the season. I'd like to broker that one. But what I'd really love is for BYU and Cincinnati to play each other right before the selection show. Uh, But they don't have a common open date. And actually, the AAC last week pushed their conference title game back to the 19th. And I'm like, I'm not sure you should have done that because if you had kept it on the 12th and Cincinnati came out of it undefeated, they could have played BYU the last week of the season. That would have been an awesome matchup. So, yeah, I think those... Against Zach Wilson, oh my God, I would... You know, I know that wouldn't do huge TV ratings, but who cares? That I think if you're a football fan, you want to see that. Well, maybe they'll play each other in the Fiesta Bowl because BYU has a shot at a New Year's Six Bowl. I, they have no shot at a playoff. Can they finish in the top 10 and make a New Year's Six Bowl? Sure. Remember, and I don't know if people realize this, but they can both make it. Cincinnati is contending for the group of five uh, birth, automatic birth. BYU is independent. They don't qualify for that but if they finish high enough on their own they can make it in that way so you know that's probably your most realistic path although let's not forget liberty's in contention for that coastal carolina's in contention for that marshall's undefeated what happened was the power five you know they all not all but most of them went to conference only schedules so now these group of five teams that would normally take at least one loss early in the season they're all undefeated not Liberty. They're taking ACC schools. They're, yeah, they're, they're doing it. Not that's for sure. He'll put it on your plate. Um, so I want to circle back on something you said briefly there in passing, because I think it deserves at least a little more spotlight. And you had referenced San Jose State, and man, Brent Brennan has done a really good job there because they're 3-0 for the first time since, it 20, what is it, 37 years? And that was... Went back and looked. It was the quarterback was Steve Clarkson, who played so long ago. He's basically the father of the private QB coach. He was the first one. He was a really good quarterback at San Jose State. And John Elway's dad was his coach. Um, but I wanted you, because this is, and, this is in your back. And they beat John Jack Elway was the coach, and they beat Stanford. John Elway in yeah. Stanford. But I, I wanted you to, to kind of lend your own personal to this. So we're ta- we've talked a lot in this podcast about how crazy the offseason's been. San Jose State is pretty much in your backyard. San Jose State had to relocate to Humboldt State, which is nowhere near San Jose State. I'm guessing you've never driven over to Humboldt. Have you? 
No, I know where it is because I know a strength coach is from there. Pete Thamel will laugh at this, but uh, <laughs> Jason Lascalzo, who used to be Leach's strength coach, came from there. But yeah, it's like five or six hours away from where the Spartans are, you know, campus is. So for them to have kind of done that juggling act, and I, I'm not saying other schools in the Mountain West haven't because I know a bunch of them have, but I do think um, it's a cool off-the-beaten-path story that they have had such a nice start given to some really challenging circumstances. No doubt. I mean, San Jose State, if you've ever been there, uh, and you see their facilities, you see the stadium they play in, you're like, how can this be FBS football? I mean, it's it's pretty decrepit. Uh, and then in this pandemic, Santa Clara County, my county, has been extremely cautious, extremely restrictive. And yeah, I mean, they they... Much like Stanford, Stanford went over to a high school in a, in a neighboring county to practice at least for a few days. San Jose State just up and moved to to like you said to Humboldt State, uh, which is a fellow Cal State school, and they only had what three weeks uh, to be able to get ready for that first game. I thought it could be disastrous, and instead, they're off to their first three and zero start since 1982. There's no divisions in the Mountain West this year, so uh, it, it's top two teams could go. Um, I'm not writing off Boise after that BYU game, but could it be Boise State, San Jose State? Or actually, you know who else is 3-0 Nevada? Yeah, and again, Jay Norvell's had, a, you know, his, his father pa- passed. Jay Norvell was on our podcast not that long ago, and we talked about the impact his dad had, his late father had, on a lot of people, not just in college football, but in college athletics and beyond. So, you know, happy for him that, his team is off to a really good start there. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. 
Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Let's, uh, let's squeeze in a few mailbag questions. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. This one is from Steve Koala. No phonetics, Steve. Come on. Steve Kowalski, Kowalski in Farmington Hills, Michigan. I'm sure there are a ton of legal documents that would make this extremely difficult, read expensive for Nebraska to leave the Big Ten, mostly based on media ownership rights. But what if all the other schools got fed up with them? Would it be easy to kick them out? It's been interesting how many people have asked me some variation of that recently. Is 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 the is the um, uh, the the all of the acrimony between Nebraska and the Big Ten this season a, a sign that there might be some kind of divorce coming? But I mean, I think the reality is. There's, there's, Nebraska would be insane to leave that conference and all the money that it makes, and I don't think the Big Ten's going to kick them out because they're still, uh, they're still Nebraska. They still have that great history. They still have a huge fan base. People tune in to watch their games, uh, even though they haven't been that good on the field. Where are they going to go? Still, where's a good landing spot? Uh, well, they're not going to go back to the Big Twelve. No, <laughs> there's a reason they left that conference. If we're truly about and I do think I do I do think that one thing Nebraska is going through a little bit is because of that history and tradition and, and certainly being and they were arguably the most dominant program in the sport at one point in the '90s. I think they feel like they should be able to, you know, uh, throw their weight around a little bit. And one of the reasons that they got soured on the Big Twelve is that Texas was getting to play that role. Now they're in a conference with Ohio State and Michigan, and and those schools you know they define the big 10 so i don't know it's been you know the nebraska fans can get very defensive we're just trying to play why should people get mad at all they want to do is play football and i understand that but it just goes against the nature of any conference much less the big 10 to try to let to try to get your conference to let you play by different rules than everybody else uh it's it's been interesting it's been an interesting little soap opera um Talk about depressing. You know that the next game is um, winless Nebraska against winless Penn State? Um, well, then somebody's going to get some good news this weekend. <laughs> the game doesn't get canceled. Imagine, imagine me telling you in the 90s that you're, there would be a football game where Nebraska and Penn State would both be winless. And, by the way, it would be November 14th, and they've only played two or three games. So and, well, just, and Northwestern and Indiana would be unbeaten. 3-0, and oh, yeah. Strange times we're living in. Um, okay, in reference to the Virginia, so if you didn't see what happened, Virginia Tech, Liberty lined up for a game-winning, long-shot, 59-yard field goal, and Virginia Tech blocked it and ran it back for a game-winning touchdown, except that it turned out they had called a timeout right beforehand. Scott Armstrong, Louisville, Louisville, North Carolina, Stu and Bruce. I don't remember coaches trying to ice kickers until Mike Shanahan did it successfully in the late 90s. Given that Virginia Tech lost a game-winning touchdown while trying to ice a kicker attempting a 59-yard field goal, is there any chance 
this trend comes to an end anytime soon. I don't think so, Stu. You know why? Because I think coaches tend to overthink things a lot. And I think they love the idea. Sometimes I think they would love to sidle up next to the, the official and then maybe try to get everybody to think they're going to call it and not call it. But I think they still love to play mind games. And I think, you know, it's almost like, um, let's go back a step. So last year when Jeff Halfley got to Ohio State, one of the things that he said, which I thought was pretty profound, was I want cleats in the ground before the snap, meaning I don't want us to spend so much mental energy trying to look like we're fooling somebody where we take ourselves out of position. And I think that's a lesson. Obviously, at Ohio State, you have better players than almost everybody you play. But I think there is something to be said for just, you know, sometimes coaches tend to overdo it and they get in their own way. And I think that's maybe, an, this is kind of an example. It's hard for them to get out of the temptation of, I have to, I have to, pull out every card if I have it in the deck. You know who has the exact opposite approach of Jeff Halfley? Greg Schiano. How do you like this approach? This Rutgers clearly decided, he clearly decided that because they have such a talent disadvantage, they're going to pull out every trick play that has ever been invented. Uh, they, and it, and it, I mean, they still lost the game decisively to Ohio state. They scored 27 points. And in part, cause they were doing all these crazy lateral plays that they, I mean, they must spend a lot of time in practice working on because they were very good at it there's a good one there's a good shiano wanstat story by the way that relates to this um and i'm probably going to screw it up so i probably shouldn't go all the way in on it but like so shiano's the defense coordinator at miami they're going to play penn state it's at the orange bowl you know this is 20 years ago 22 years ago um and Shiano uh, gets a voicemail from Wanstead, who was a mentor of his, who you know hired him at the Bears to be his secondary coach, and he basically leaves him a voicemail that just says, you know, kind of remember you got you got good players, just don't like get in your own way, and that's the you know the gist of the voicemail. And I think when it comes down to it, there's like a blitz that. Shiano calls where Dan Morgan almost gets to the quarterback, but I think takes like a half step the wrong way. Doesn't get to the quarterback. Penn State hits an 80-yard touchdown to win the game. And it's just like that simple thing of like you just let the guys go play, you probably will have a better chance. Don't get in their way. Well, hopefully somebody somewhere will do a study on the effectiveness rate of icing the kicker. I mean, we have analytic studies for everything else at this point. Um, I know the analytics community was furious that Brian Kelly didn't go for two uh, at the end of regulation. So let's somebody give us the answer. Does icing the kicker? You would have to figure out basically every time a kicker, somebody ices the kicker, does the kicker make or miss it at a rate better or worse than their normal rate? I don't know. I don't know how you would quantify it. I think it's stupid. (laughs) I've rarely seen it work. So I hope every coach in the country watches tape of that Virginia Tech situation, which was brutal. And by the way, it wasn't just what happened on the field goal. Then it was fourth and six for Liberty, and they lined up. And for some inexplicable reason, Virginia Tech lined up in Hail Mary defense. So they just took a short pass, got the first down, made the field goal shorter for the field goal, field goal, uh, kicked the winning field goal. Um, last one is for you, Bruce. Uh, Nick Hart in Olathe, Kansas. My question is for Bruce. I noticed that The Rock wrote the foreword for your Coach O book. Do you have any fun stories about crossing paths with the great one? 
Um, full disclosure, I personally did not cross paths with the great one. I crossed paths with the great one's PR person about 39 times over email. Um, so The Rock, or as Ogeron refers to him as Dewey, because uh, he coached him at Miami, and they are buddies. You know, they have, um, they go way back. I think Ed had a pretty profound impact on on The Rock when he was at Miami, and had some injuries and Warren Sapp got there and turned out to be a lot better player and, and all that. But, um, so he did the forward and like, he was actually, he was into it. Like, I don't, there was, uh, in the same vein, LSU would have these very cool videos that they would show to the team, but they would also tweet them out these motivational videos that now you see a lot of teams didn't, they did it last year, but they would have it voiced over by somebody prominent. It would either be some former LSU player or maybe a celebrity. Well, f- before the national title game, they had The Rock do it. And Derek Panamski, who's Ogeron's right-hand man, would be the one who would coordinate these. And sometimes they were harder than others to get people on their schedules. You would think The Rock, who, by the way, has 200 million Instagram followers um, and has got his hands in everything from like 19 different TV shows to like vodka businesses and you know a bunch of other stuff, would have been harder to get but he apparently responded real quick and voiced over everything in a hurry and just like you know I think he's pretty good about stuff like that so he sent us what he wanted and he was very specific on what he wanted it and you know now hopefully uh I think there'll be a little more of some collaboration in promoting the book (laughs) because obviously he has a humongous microphone there between you know at one point I was like whoa he has 15 million Twitter followers I didn't realize he uh, till till a little later that he had 202 million uh, Instagram followers so um, I can't say I had a direct connection with him though so I, I mean, can tell you a lot about his PR person well he, he has that many followers because he's the rare actor who is um, revered by fans of action movies and Disney kids movies because as I assume you know from having young kids he played Maui in Moana uh, I don't think our kids have ever seen it oh uh, my daughter that's actually the first movie first that I remember her you know even being aware of what a movie was um, she was really into Moana when she was still two actually so yes he is one of the main characters in that movie and very good at it, by the way. He's given the guy credit. He's a he's a great actor. And by the way, Steve, apparently does a, did you a great favor? <laughs> yeah. By the way, just as a aside, being home yesterday was rare for me now because I'm in studio every week, and um, I'm sure a lot of dads can connect with this. If, you know, and it doesn't have to be a son, but in this case, our daughter couldn't care less about sports, but our son is obsessed with football. Um, it's very cool to get to watch, just sit on the couch and watch games with a little kid with your child. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's something that I I think this is the first time because I was on the road all last year and the last, you know, since basically since our kids were born. So just to see that and to kind of like experience it with them and to see what they know and how much they know, um, it was a pretty awesome day yesterday. You know, now it's. My wife wasn't thrilled that he's all in on Pac-12 after dark and the game is going to end at 10 o'clock at night. And he wants to see 
Now he knows who Rolo is, and he wants to see the Oregon State Washington State. You're kidding me! He stayed up for, for the Pac-12 after dark game. Yeah, I mean, eventually uh, he went to bed at like nine thirty Pacific, so it was like enough's enough, buddy. You gotta you've, you've seen <laughs> enough football. So uh, my daughter's not quite at that point yet, where she'll sit and watch a football game. She's aware of what it is now, at least. Um, my my dad moment during the day Saturday was my wife had to leave the house unexpectedly for about an hour, so. Was like okay well you're just gonna have to set her up with a movie which was uh, mary poppins and but is she gonna but of course she wouldn't watch that on her own device her own tablet it's got to be on the tv so at one point she was watching that on the big tv and i was watching uh florida georgia toward the end of florida georgia on one laptop the start of notre dame clemson on another uh or on my no i was watching, i had florida georgia on my phone notre dame clemson on a laptop and then my own laptop that i was writing on on my lap so uh, welcome to trying to watch you know welcome to watching college football in quarantine in 2020 with no child care yeah been there done that <laughs> not fun <laughs> that part can be exhausting all right well this was a fun episode recapping a, a, a very fun day i mean it's I feel bad that I disparaged Pac-12 football a little bit there. I think we eventually got to the point I was trying to make. In general, it's great to have everybody back, including the Mac. Um, I'd be lying if I said I saw much Mac action the other night, but I will. You know what? It was pretty cool to have three games on. The game I actually really wanted to see was not one of them, and that was Toledo-Eastern Michigan. But, um, I mean, man, I, I just think about this now in the context of having a little kid who loves football. Is like when I was a little kid, you know, this is like me going, you know, this is the snowshoes, you know, 10 miles each way kind of story. But it's like, we only got one day of football during the week and it was Monday night. It was late. Now, right. football's on almost every night and it's really cool. Well, what was your setup for that then? Because I assume you had John King on one of the, that was Wednesday night. No. Uh, no. I assume you had John King no. or I had one of, of the that. other networks on. No, no. I no? was going to, I was going to, I'll find that out when I find that out, you know. Gotcha. Like, I watched as much as I could, you know, on Thursday, Tuesday night, and then I'm like, I'm good. Let me know what's going to happen later. And but I, you know, the football was a the football was was a good distraction or a good diversion. And um, you know, the make sure you don't have COVID was a good diversion after <laughs> after oh, that. Oh, geez, that's right. That that happened on election night, right? Yeah, you had a you had a you had a dramatic week. To say the least, I would just leave it with this. I didn't mean to go down the election road, but I would love to see John King call a football game. I would love to see John King. I don't know if he follows football, cares about football. I would love to see him work the telestrator during a football game because the man, nobody in the history of television has ever worked a touchscreen the way that guy does. Okay. So on that note. You can always tell when Bruce is uncomfortable that I brought something up when he just doesn't even respond i just don't know if it's a road that like anyone's gonna be like eh, i don't know if i want to go down this road all right well then we'll we'll just end the podcast shall we we'll see you next time yeah.